Matthew chapter 2 and it's verses 13 to uh, 26 and um, it's um, about the escape to Egypt and um, it starts when the kings have left without telling Herod where they've gone and in this translation the kings are called Magi. When they'd gone An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were under two years old, in accordance with the time he'd learnt from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Well, it is still uh, the Christmas season, and uh, it seems to me that there's a sort of a bit like chalk and cheese between the peace and the goodwill and the joy that we have in the Christmas story and what we're seeing in the newspapers as we look back to last year and think, you know, what happened that was good, what happened that was bad, what's going to happen next year. And there's this big credibility gap. And I wonder whether or not we are guilty as Christians of living in a a la-la world of peace and joy when actually the reality is that life is very hard for most people. And I was thinking about this and, and actually I think there is a gap but it's not the gap between what's happening now and what happened at Christmas. The gap is between what we think of as Christmas and the reality of Christmas in the first century. Because we've sort of decorated around the events of the Christmas story something which is wonderful and peaceful and glorious. But there was a reality there which is very much in touch with the lives that people are leading nowadays. And it seemed to me that was was, um, summed up particularly 
uh, when uh, Pam and I went, went to Israel a couple of years ago. And you come to Nazareth, which was a very, very poor place. And life was very hard. And what do you see? You see a marvelous church, beautiful church. But it makes you forget that what was there in the first place was entirely different. You go to Bethlehem, and instead of seeing a stable, you see a marvellous church. You go to Galilee, the backwater, even in those days, the backwater of a backwater country, and you see marvellous edifices which tell us that there was a, uh, an event here that happened. And I think... Nothing illustrates this better than the reading that we've had today, which is our lectionary reading, which, uh, as Claire says, is one that we don't often uh, focus upon about Jesus and the Holy Family going down into Egypt. And we're going to look at it a little bit today. Now, artists paint this as a, uh, a wonderful event, a, uh, a pastoral walk in the park like that. And it has been brought up to date. Banksy has done something to help us realize that a flight into Egypt can mean more than one thing. Only £35 the flight to, to Cairo nowadays. But nevertheless, there is a sort of a beauty to it of them wandering down, even, even with our illustration that we had in the, uh, 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 the uh, little uh, video. How did they get down to uh, Egypt? Well, they went in a white van. Rather comfortable, wasn't it? But let's look at the reality. The reality was different. For a start, the Holy Family had stayed in Bethlehem much longer than necessary for the census. We know this because it says that by the time the wise men came, it says, where were they living? Not in the stable, they were living in a house. Who did the wise men come to see? They didn't come to see a baby, they saw the child. So there's evidence there uh, that they had stayed in Bethlehem much longer than just the period that we celebrate Christmas for. Probably a year or more as we shall see when Herod uh, decided that he must massacre the people in that area, he didn't take any chances. He said it's all those who are under the age of two. So for a year or more, this family had spent their time in an alien part of their country. And then the angelic warning comes in the middle of the night. Take Mary and the child and flee to Egypt. I've never understood why they needed to take a flea to Egypt. There must have been plenty of fleas there already. <clears throat> but that's what it says. And everything about this story is urgent. Get up, escape. Herod plans to kill him. So he got up during the night, the night of the dream. He didn't hang around and they fled to Egypt. This was no pleasurable experience they had to up sticks very quickly. And here we see that there is a great reality between what happened then and what is happening now in the dark places of the world. We all know about Syria. We've seen people escaping Aleppo. And Aleppo is only one of many places where there's huge disruption. The calculation is that there's some 12 million displaced people in Syria, half of them displaced within their own country, half of them living in other parts of the Middle East and in Europe. This was 
a, a, a dreadful situation in the first century and it's one that is with us now. And Egypt, why did they choose Egypt? Well, Egypt was a fairly natural choice for Jews who didn't want to uh, live in Israel. Herod had a limited uh, uh, degree of control um, within Israel, and Egypt was a place fairly accessible. There was the Way of the Sea, which was a well-known trade route, which would have taken them down to Egypt. And Egypt was a place where many expatriate Jews will have lived. We know, for example, that just before Jesus, uh, 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 Jesus was born, there were, uh, there were a group of scholars uh, who were living in Alexandria, right up uh, near the Mediterranean, and they were the ones that translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek uh, uh, Old Testament. And that's what we call the Septuagint, which actually means the 70, because there were 70, um, uh, there were 70 scholars who did the translation. So it was a natural place to go. A place of safety? Well, sort of. But Herod was a man who had his own secret police who would have infiltrated that area. And had they known more intelligence about Jesus, he would have not been uh, in a safe place there. So we know very little about these early days, but it's not fanciful to conclude that this was no middle-class idyll. Yes, Joseph had a trade, he was a carpenter, but just think about his escape from Bethlehem. He didn't take anything with them. They were teenagers. There's pretty good evidence that they were a very young couple, Joseph and Mary. Uh, They didn't have any supporting relationships like uh, they had with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And they were in uh, dire straits. And nor was Herod's brutality something that was just in their imagination. Herod was a huge and great builder. And he did bring some power uh, to Israel at that time. But he was a man who was absolutely racked by self-doubt and by fear that he would be overtaken by other people. In Caesarea, down on the coast by the Mediterranean, there is one of Caesar's many palaces. And there he has, or he had enclosed, a sort of swimming pool as part of his palace. And we have records to show that those who didn't get on well uh, with, uh, uh, with Herod were always invited for a meal and invited for a swim. And they went in, but they never came out. It's said that uh, when he died, he had decreed that all the prominent people of Jerusalem should be uh, rounded up and killed. And he did that because he was so fearful that on the day of his death, there would be nobody mourning. And he wanted people to mourn, even if it wasn't for him, on the day of his death. So it was a pretty uh, drastic time. The fact that there are no external uh, proofs of the massacre of the innocents is not significant because Bethlehem at that time and the surrounding area would probably have had no more than a thousand uh, inhabitants to it and that would have meant there would be maybe 12, maybe 20 people, young boys who would have been born um, over a two-year period. And that is very small beer for the sorts of things that Herod did for him to have killed those, that sort of number. 
It was still a massacre, but it was not significant in the terms of what he did. Interestingly, Herod, we know, died in 4 BC. Uh, we know that because of the, uh, uh, the other records that there are, which suggests that when we say Christ was born in the year zero, actually he was probably about five or six at the time. Can't blame the Bible for that. That was done by the, uh, the church leaders in years uh, afterwards. But let's just look at the significance of this today. What is the significance? What lesson may be drawn from the fact that Jesus was there as a refugee? And I think it's this. It's that he didn't avoid the hard places of earth. No, he inhabited them. We've got this wonderful picture here of Emmanuel, God with us. And God is with us. And he's not just with us in our little discomforts that we have here in the Western world. He is there in the dark places. He was homeless. His legitimacy was questioned. He had teenage parents. He was stateless. And when we have these pictures of the Madonna and child, we think that that was normal. But I think that today, if Jesus came, we'd see a picture more like this, of a refugee. Amazing to think that the God of the universe would come down to us and not just be with humanity, but he would be in the least likely place that there was in order to send the message that God is with us in the very dark places. What a start for a world religion. Would you do it in a refugee camp? No, you'd find places where you could actually communicate the message, but that's what God does. He turns our ideas upside down. All this was intentional. We look at our readings uh, from Philippians and from Hebrews and we see uh, that it says that God made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And in Hebrews chapter 2 it says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Jesus came for everybody. He came for the rich and the poor. He came for the powerful and the oppressed. But there seems to be something uh, which makes Jesus identify with the poor and the downtrodden even more than the rich and the powerful. And down the centuries, the church has had a pretty mixed record of identifying with the poor. But there have been some huge successes. Who started the hospitals? Who started the education system? Uh, who identifies with the poor? That's what the church has done, and that's what we are to do as Jesus today. Jesus has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. And he calls us to identify with the poor, to carry the baton in our own time and place, getting alongside downtrodden locally, and we can do that ourselves through the night cafe, 
through Beesom, for the poor and oppressed in our community. And we can do it for other ways, by supporting Samara's aid and for Flame, which is dealing with people in the really difficult situations. We're all called to be Jesus to the helpless and the homeless. Just by way of light relief, I have to say that even today in 2017, I have helped homeless people. We went to bed at 12.30 and at 1 o'clock I have a phone call from the people that we had shared the new year with. And they said, when we came to wave you goodbye, the door closed behind us and we are stuck outside our house. So I've done my bit for 2017, but it's now up to you to do the same. We are the body of Christ. That is, we are Jesus today. And we've all been given gifts. And Paul tells us in the letter to Timothy, don't neglect your gifts, because they're gifts to be Jesus to other people, whether locally, nationally, or just in our own homes. Amen. We're going to follow this up and Emma is going to uh, lead us in our prayers and the prayers will follow through and I hope that as she says the words, you will identify with them and pray them for yourselves.